Hey everyone, I'm Louie. And I'm Valerie, and this is Musical Tangents. Where we just talk different things about music. Welcome! Welcome again, everyone. Uh, we have a very special guest with us today. Um, this is one of my dear, dear friends, Amelia Burnett. Hi! <laughs> <laughs> Glad to be here. <laughs> so, uh, this is the first time that we have a guest. And so, we would actually have to introduce you a little bit. So, do you mind taking a little bit of time? Just tell us what you do, where you are located. Well, not located, but just <laughs> My home where address. do you study? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What is yeah. your home address, social security number? I see. My <laughs> mother's maiden name. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm Amelia. I graduated in May from UK with a bachelor's in computer science, and I'm now a software engineer. And I met these lovely people playing piano because I did a piano performance minor. And yeah, that's that's <laughs> me. <laughs> All right, so uh, Amelia is a computer buff. I, I I don't know how she does all of the things that she does, but uh, she likes typing on the computer and she <laughs> likes playing the keys. Yes. So <laughs> lots, yeah. lots lots of Google, Louie. A lot of keys. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, we're going to uh, actually get two additional opinions. Well. Three, three opinions in total, one extra opinion on some of the topics that we're going to talk about. So the first topic is, again, sort of the continuation from last episode. Uh, one of the things that we talked about in the past was standardization, and we were going to lead into that. So do popular music follow a certain formula? And if not, is teaching music necessary? So this is not... Uh, topics that are divided but i think it's because teaching music definitely entails a little bit of standard right so like there's a certain way that you uh do chord progressions usually if you learn music theory they're going to talk about um this is one what the usual progression is and things like that so that's one way to keep music standard and second thing is uh, we talk, we kind of touched upon this, Valerie and I kind of touched upon this, but we have a music industry. So that's the third party who gets to say, yes, this music is going to be produced under our name as well, or we're going to distribute this music or not. So they have a say so as well. So are they policing a certain standard into music making? So that's what we're going to talk about. Um, so First of all, let's let's go into this. Do popular music have a certain formula? Absolutely. Oh yeah. There's, <laughs> there's no way they don't. I mean, you can <laughs> all like Western music has always had some type of formulation. You can go back to the Baroque period with the fugue and toccata. Yeah. You can get into the classical era with binary form, sonata form, minuets. Um. I mean, you can also get into the smaller, more nitty-gritty details of periods and sentences, chord progressions, cadences. I mean, 100%. There's no argument about it. And then in today's music, you have, like, 
verse, verse, chorus, verse, bridge, chorus. <laughs> so, well, yeah, it's a no-brainer for yeah. for this one for me. I mean, there's there's a reason that they're like, oh, yeah, these are the three-chord songs. Like, they just have one, four, five. Mm-hmm. And that is what pop music has been lately. Although, there are some independent artists that do, like, different... Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's not to say everyone yeah. is only doing this. Because, I mean, <laughs> people would get bored. But, um... I mean, it's the singer-songwriter, you know, they strum a few chords on the guitar and <laughs> call the crowd or they... So easy, yeah. everybody. Just yeah. just strum a few chords Make and math. write a song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll be the next Dave Matthews. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... <laughs> so that's the, that's the interesting part is that um, you're right. I mean, Western music... And I, to be completely honest, same thing if you go back to some other parts of the world. They definitely have certain ways that they teach music, right? So we're not mm-hmm. just going to sit here and act like, well, this is C, this is D, and then go through all of the keyboard and go, okay, now you can just play whatever you want, right? And and partially, I think it's because we're comfortable with certain sounds. So mm-hmm. one of the reasons why standardization is kind of important topic, in, in my opinion, in music is because artists have their own style, right? Styles mm-hmm. are categorized then into certain genres, and genres have to have certain standards. So we just... Let's admit it. People like to categorize things, uh, whether it is a categorizable thing or not. So music being one of them, uh, is it? Do you think that's one of the reasons why certain people are drawn more to certain artists, specific artists? So like, for example, do people listen to Taylor Swift because they like certain sound that she always has? I think it's because her music speaks to a large group of people maybe specifically women and girls and people who have had uh, bad relationships or good (laughs) relationships um I think maybe hers has to do with more what she's the message she's conveying in the music and um the pop sound is appealing to a lot of people I think just like even with Taylor Swift categorizing her just as a pop sound is not even something that really like she has different groups of like where she has like country Taylor mm-hmm. or like really pop Taylor. And then like I think she's really kind of come into her own with her own sound lately with the last few albums, which is like not necessarily my jam, but yeah. like it's it's different and it's her and it feels like more authentic than like formula Taylor from I think og taylor. i don't know i i'm more of a fan of og oh, taylor i am a fan of og taylor i'm just saying that I, it just she feels like she's coming where she wants to be now versus yeah. just like where the industry wants her to be and she has more control over music yes. now as well and she's re-recording albums to yeah make them her own now and so i think she's coming in to who she is yeah <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing, but there are certain artists that I think are drawing certain people's attention just because they have a very specific sound. I, I And I don't, yeah. co- mm-hmm. to be completely honest, I don't think the audience members or listeners really care what genre it is as long as the music sounds good, right? So that's yeah. partially where it is. And that also goes back to the idea of what kind of household you grew up in not because that really determines what kind of music you're going to like, but if you grew up in a household who listened to primarily uh, pop music, 
versus a household who um, just play jazz music. Their taste, I think, is going to be not predetermined. That's a wrong word, but I think they're that's gonna feel like home, as people would always okay. say. I think that's one thing that also kind of ties back to the standardization. Maybe the whole idea of having your own style is just how you grew up, right? Where you're, where you're from and how you grew up. I think that also has a lot to do with it. Now, then let me ask you this. Ultimately speaking, in pop music world in any way, a lot of artists are singer-songwriter. So they are the creator. They're the interpreter. Now, that's much easier to say it's very good to be independent. But if a lot of people who are listening to this, if you are enrolled in music school, like majoring in music and universities, I don't know if you get that much of a freedom as to what your sound is going to be. I don't know how to answer this. I I mean, I'm coming to this as a piano performance, um, like minor, not as a degree. Because I know the degree students get like really hardcore into like all of the stuff. And I was much more, I'm taking this because I love this. I'm taking this because this is what I wanted to play. And it gave me a lot of freedom to be like, I'm going to learn this type of music. I'm going to take jazz classes. I think there's options out there for people of like different stuff but like if you if you are going to formal education for anything the goal is to fit in the box and if if you want to pass that but then if you get a really good professor really good teacher or mentor they can help you find your own niche in the box or say you can break this mold and still succeed in my class but I think there's always going to be in formal education some sort of like here's the box you have to at least acknowledge it (laughs) Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, sometimes you'll find that just amazing professor who is helping form you into your own sound, but then there is a lot of professors in music academia who are molding you into what they want you to be um, in the sound that they think that you should have. And so, to some degree, I think you, in music school, you really have to kind of build your own backbone and be able to stand up for yourself and be able to advocate for yourself and set boundaries. Okay. So let me ask you that. Uh, Then, because what we just talked about, you have to be in a certain box. Mm -hmm. Is music education still necessary? Because... No. If you are <laughs> right, that, I, I think that's no, the answer. Music major, I'm saying no. I, you don't even need. This. I think there are some benefits to some of it because um, mm-hmm. I was talking to my dad about this. He wants me to play keyboard in a band, mm-hmm. and okay. I'm a classically trained pianist, and keyboard is so different because it's like yeah. it's the vibes. It's like the it's playing as a percussion instrument instead of a melodic instrument. And I was talking to him, and he used to play in bands wherever he was young. And he said that some of their best keyboardists and stuff and some like great rock bands, their best keyboardists mm-hmm. are classically trained musicians. But you have to take that month of being really, really bad at playing <laughs> percussion mm-hmm. instrument on your melodic instrument until 
you all of a sudden understand it and understanding the chord progressions and the different like the dynamics and how everything relates to each other which you get from a classical education in music really helps push those like once you get to that next level of being able to play your progressive instrument gets you where you can play where it opens up opportunities for you so I think that there is something to be said for music education Mm -hmm. but some of the ways like if we keep it too narrow it's not helpful to anybody yeah and I think if you want to pursue music in higher education, you have to really, really want it. Yeah. Like, you can't have, like, just half your foot in the door. Like, you have to be <laughs> absolutely determined that this is what you want to do. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. Okay. So, I think that's, uh, if I if I am going to contribute any opinion to that, I think it's also kind of sad that most of the music institutions... I think within the United States, most of the time, if you say that you want to major in music, there's no other style other than classical music. Well, there's jazz. I mean, there jazz. is jazz, but if we, I don't know, I haven't looked at the statistics, but I, I probably can say with a certain num- certain amount of confidence that most of the universities have classical music as like their departmental figure. Yeah, that would be the stereotypical. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. but the, I mean, usually the departments are divided. You have your music department and then your jazz department, that's and the true. people cross over between them, but they're kind of there's a, a line that separates them. Okay, so let's for a second because all three of us have been uh trained somewhat classically so let mm-hmm. me ask you this question then because this is tying back to the idea of standardization right classical musicians if you want to succeed and have your name out there as a classical musician nowadays you either compose your own piece and give it to someone who's really really good at playing their instruments or you enter into competition and that's how you get your way into the industry. Because classical mm-hmm. music is or weird. Teaching. Huh? Or teaching. Or teaching. Or teaching. But I'm talking if if you as a musician want mm-hmm. to perform. Okay. Want to make your career solely from performing. Which mm-hmm. uh, I've spoken to uh, a piano pro- faculty member at UofL and University of Louisville. And she hasn't, she said that most of the people nowadays, if you are a classical musician, you teach and perform. So Mm -hmm. like, it's not going to be just focusing on one thing or another. But that being said, classical music industry is really weird. Most of the pianists that are well known and are covered the most by a lot of publishing companies, and they get the most recording opportunities and performance opportunities have won some sort of competitions. For example, uh, South Korean pianist Sung Jin Cho is really, really famous right now because he won his first place in Chopin competition. Yun Chan Lim, who's another South Korean pianist, I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying all of these Korean <laughs> pianists because I'm Korean. <laughs> but uh, Yun Chan Lim, who happens to be only 19 years old, uh, has won the gold medal in Van Cliburn competition when he was 18. So like, that's how they got most of the, most of their opportunities and that's how they got exposed. But there's a lot of people who say music competitions are rigged. It's just politics. Mm -hmm. There's no certain standard 
that is actually dividing who's better than the others objectively. It's all subjective opinions and it matters who the judges are. So what's happening in the classical music world? I don't know. I don't watch the competitions. I, I'm going to say I know a lot more about science fairs than piano competitions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's interesting because uh, we, t- Valerie and I talked about this, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, sports has uh, sports have some kind of criteria where you can be like, well, this like person clearly, numbers, yeah, yeah, this mm-hmm. this person clearly measurably did better than the others. Uh, yeah, like like it, let's take sprint. Like you run for one hundred meters <laughs> in Olympics. There's no debate. I mean, you whoever finishes it the first time yeah. is going to be the gold medalist. But in piano, it's I don't think that's that simple. Like, is it like the standard of who made the least number of mistakes? Like, yeah. who like, made the like least number of mistakes? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I think it has to be to a certain degree because one of the standard has to be like artistry. How do you measure artistry? I don't think mm-hmm. that's a measurable thing. It, 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 it's a feeling, though. Yeah. And like, yeah, that's hard to quantify. Yeah. We're just like, well, I felt it, guys. <laughs> Because, I mean, there's definitely, like, there's, you know, for sure, like, the great pianists or, like, we know for sure that some people are better at their craft than others. But, like, how do we really, like, there's no way to make it subjective. Cause you mean I, objective? I, I mean objective, yeah. yeah. That- because, like... You might like you might like one person, but I might think another person did better. So it's like it doesn't to me at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. And that's why I don't keep up with the competitions. So do you think competitions are meaningless? To me, yes. (laughs) To other people, do your own thing. Well, I think it's interesting, though, because the reason why I wanted to talk about this partially is because what does it mean to have your own voice within the classical music as well because chances are if you are a pianist if you're a violinist if you're some kind of instrumentalist in classical music you're not gonna i don't think you're gonna compose and if you do good for you but you know chances are most of the time classical musicians play what has already been written before and i think this is really telling so i actually this I'm going to take a moment to advertise my services to people. I film and record uh, recitals and concerts. So if you ever need someone to do that professionally, you can reach out to me. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> I remember uh, talking to one of the musicians at the University of Kentucky. And this musician told me, well, it's not going to be. Well, it's a pianist. The pianist told me it's not going to be a regular piano recital. And I was like, what do you mean by that? Well, it's not going to be, you know, I start with Bach. I go into classical period. Then I go into romantic period. And then in the in the second half of the recital, I'm going to do, you know, like romantic period. But it's not going to be piano sonatas. And there are like certain ways that a lot of people usually program their recitals and performances. And while programming your concert and event is important, I do definitely feel like there is certain ways that musicians like to standardize the way that you're going to present your own entire program and entire performance. So 
that's one of the reasons why, like, other than that, what other say-so do you have, like, in classical music? How do you establish that you are, you are your own individual musician who's collaborating with the composer? Because I feel like a lot of people dislike that. They're like, no, just play as what the composer has intended. But chances are we're not going to figure it out. <laughs> we're never going to know because they, they've been <laughs> yeah. dead for 200 years. So how do we do that? How, how do classical musicians or how could they uh, make their performances stand out from other people's? Mm, well, you could be really bad. No. <laughs> or you could be really good. <laughs> Get up there and just play a couple notes. You're like, I'm good. That's me. It's like, that girl does not play. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you had a really, like, fun, uh, like, senior recital. Yeah, I did. And, you, like, you talked about, I, like, it's very rare that the performer between each piece will, like, talk about it or give an antidote. Yeah. And you did that, and, like, people were much more engaged yeah, in the I, recital. I really, I'm not, I don't consider myself, like, a fully classical pianist because I have not, I've not, I stopped taking formal lessons at like 12 or 13 and then I've kind of just a little bit taken lessons here and there and then studied in college. But, um, I, for most of my teenage years, I was playing piano for me and because I wanted to, and I'm a very extroverted person and I like to sing and I've got family where my sister is like, yes, learn this lame is so I can sing this. And we go like to nursing homes and stuff. And that's really where I got my start of like performing places. And wherever you're performing, especially for like older people they they don't want to just sit there and listen to you like just plink like <laughs> you know and that's what especially whenever you're like you haven't had a piano teacher in four years that's kind of what it turns into if I just try and do classical but I found that I could I could play stuff and sing stuff and have fun telling my own story because it's about being genuine it's about being there and if you're ultimately just you and you're like hey like me for me or don't like me for me that's fine then that's when people remember you and that's whenever it's fun to perform too i agree i mean i think that's what more people should do than you know just sit down and bring in i i just i i i, I remember being very confused i was like what do you mean by it's not going to be a regular <laughs> yeah. recital. I was like, well, what did it end up being? Like, what was this program? Well, the program was, <laughs> it was all classical pieces, but it was not like in particular order, order. Like I said, like oh, okay. it wasn't periodically categorized. So that's what I mean. Like, I, I oh, he really thought he did something. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, but that's one of the reasons why I'm not naming this pianist because <laughs> okay. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to embarrass the pianist. Well, and, and there's nothing wrong with doing it the way it has worked in the past. Like, yeah, for example, yeah, like yeah. if you want to play Baroque pieces. You know, playing it before, I don't know, a classical era, if you have just romantic era, playing Baroque before romantic era could work. I mean, you know, it kind of shows you or shows the listeners how music has improved, at least in the classical music world. Mm -hmm. And that could be something. But like, I think a lot of people like I get kind of frustrated sometimes going to music concerts because I'm like, okay, I'm. I'm fascinated that you picked these pieces, but 
Yeah. You, Why? You, you have to have a story. <laughs> yeah. And if you have if you have a story, it brings the pieces apart from just being sentences into being a story. And that's mm. what's really mm-hmm. important if you want your stuff to be memorable and enjoyable. Because I think right now the classical music world is really at a detriment because of how it's been recorded and how it's been advertised. And the Where, attitude yeah, within unless, it. Unless you are a classical musician, and even then, like, you could not get me to go to, like, a piano concert unless I'm, like, friends with somebody or, like, mm-hmm. we want to go together. Like, I'm not just going to be like, yes, piano recital, whoop, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's actually a good point. Uh, Valerie, I think you mentioned mm-hmm. attitude. So there's an actually an interesting study that okay. they found out that is it music like looking at classical music and the people who like classical music or who are learning classical music, the article title and you can look this up. Is it music or is it a cult? So <laughs> the way the way this author was writing was that if you are trying to change anything that Beethoven has written don't do it because classical classical fans, classical music fans and avid listeners are going to attack you for it. You're they're going to tell you you're disrespecting the composer yeah. mm-hmm. because you're changing what was already good. So they almost uh, admire these composers and the way they were written like gods. But one thing that baffles me is that they think that classical composers didn't know how to improvise. Yeah, th- those yeah. scores are, like, meant to be improvised on. They-, they would never just go and just play off their score like that. I mean, they not- could, yeah. I mean, but... In that time, like, it was an expectation that you had to know how to improvise. And, like, um, themes and variations, like, that, you know, was the popular thing at the time. So this idea of that you go and you play note for note is, like... If you had a time machine and went back 200 years, they'd be like, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing it like that? Like, uh, what? So I don't, I don't know. The, just like the general attitude and cult-like yeah. culture within classical music right now is just, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's kind of heartbreaking, but... It's, it's well, very, like, get told, like, whenever I was growing up and learning piano, it was like, you sit at that pi- piano and you play what you're supposed to be playing right now. Mm-hmm. You do not, do not mess around. Do not hit a wrong note. And it's like a high-stress environment, like, where you're like, oh, I am not going to mess this one up. And it makes it less enjoyable mm-hmm. and less likely for me to be, just be like, oh, I am going to go improvise and have fun. Like, <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that attitude and... I mean, it's modern. I think that's yes, a modern thing. That is, that's since like yeah. recordings came out and stuff. That's mm-hmm. true. Where yeah. like there is yeah. a standard sound because before, like if you're hearing it, you're hearing it live and from the and composer. Yeah. Sometimes, like there were people <laughs> that heard Beethoven play his own compositions live, but we don't have that luxury. And also, like not after he got <laughs> he got <laughs> deaf. Uh, okay. Yes. Well, he, yeah. he became is the deaf, issue and now. he was like, ah. <laughs> Dang it, I can't or, I can't play my compositions yeah. anymore. Or just like <laughs> other composers throughout history who've, you know, played their own compositions, but also like we now have the modernized lesson books. Uh, yes. They didn't learn off of <laughs> lesson books and a lot of the like best musicians I know personally learned because they taught themselves first without a lesson book. Cuz like uh, as someone who like also dabbles in teaching piano, God, I 
I'm not going to name you any really, lesson books. Yeah, you really oh don't God, like it. <laughs> I don't like them. And the kids hate them. They oh, get yeah. bored. They usually will get through the first book. And then by the second book, they're like, I'm bored. I want to play something I'm actually interested in. And then they quit because, they, you know, they don't want to. So, like, I, I've just been, you know, researching and trying new things to avoid at all costs using a lesson book. Because... Unless they have a parent who is, like, dead set on them playing piano, they will quit if they're yeah. learning from the lesson books. Well, and I think that's the lesson books, like, having certain standard and you're like, this is good music, so you're going to learn exactly how it's written. Mm-hmm. And I always have to ask classical musicians... Are you engaging more of your auditory processing or are you engaging your visual processing? Mm-hmm. And I remember <laughs> I remember upsetting a lot of classical musicians because they were like, oh, we are listening all the time. <laughs> and, you know, we are no. producing the sound based on what we perceive no. in our imagination. Yeah, you can say that all day long, but, you know, there's no way for me to prove which part of the brain you're using the most. Mm-hmm. Are you using <laughs> like uh like the the most the the farthest back part of your brain is like where your visual sensory is supposed to be processed. So like are you using that part or are you using your auditory part? Like, you know, cuz they get so tied down by the sheet music. I mean, you I remember even hearing something like Oh, you know, if you're going to play Beethoven Hammerclavier Sonata, you you better follow it, you know, note for note. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> maybe, maybe not, because I love Beethoven, but I'm sure he probably was like, by the time he wrote Hammerclavier, he probably couldn't hear a lot either. So I'm like... <laughs> who knows who knows what he was trying to trying to you know play in his head so we will never we will never know so Mm -hmm. i think that's one of the reasons why like standardization i think is an important interesting topic in music for that reason um but i think ever since the pop music or popular music came out whether that be rock music jazz and then you know the the history of western music how which genres got popular let me but the popular music was always there it was just considered like peasant music yes so it wasn't recorded or preserved as well um so it's always it's always been there and people have always enjoyed it but well and also i mean don't forget beethoven was the first pop star if you mm. will. Okay, so to give you that idea, because I remember telling my wife about this. Can you imagine back in 1827 when you didn't have cars, when you didn't have planes, going to Vienna from all around the Europe because Beethoven died? There were 50,000 people attending Beethoven's funeral. So he was like, mm-hmm. imagine, was imagine like watching a funeral video of Michael Jackson or Taylor, like oh, Taylor yes, Swift's Taylor not Swift. dead, but <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying like in the long future, you know, yes. like some of the famous musicians in our generation, they pass away and then. You know, it's like people all around the world attending the funeral. It mm-hmm. was kind of yeah. like that with yeah. Beethoven, too. So you're right. Pop music always existed. But I'm talking ever since 20th century. Yeah. And then popular music came out. 
a lot of artists started to experiment a lot. So like, you know, um, Valerie actually might be able to explain this a little better because I think UK's music theory professor is a huge fan of Beatles. And we talked about the Beatles last One time. One of them, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> but if you look at the Beatles sound, first of all, they didn't know how to read music and they weren't, I don't think they were classically trained. They, they, I think Paul McCartney has mentioned getting like a few piano lessons as a kid i mean that's like it's the same story you hear like so so many musicians like singer songwriters today like they took lessons when they were a kid and they didn't like it and then they went and played the guitar so yeah and yeah it's the typical you know piano story (laughs) (laughs) well and i think that's really interesting because they started developing their own sound now, of course, Mixolydian scale probably, or mode, I'm sorry. Don't attack me, classical music <laughs> students, <laughs> for not knowing my music theory. But, you know, modes always existed. But, you know, Beatles, they didn't probably learn each mode. But they still mm-hmm. somehow found that sound fascinating, so they used it. So a lot of people started experimenting based on what either they didn't know or they knew, but they kind of went out of their way to make something work. Now, this is my next question, and this is going to be our next episode. 